0: Hey, BTB buddies, I've got Ricky Glor on the show today. Ricky is a veteran comedian, actor, and playwright who has a great dry bar special, and his album, World's Greatest Dad, Participant, is available on all the streaming services. His movie, All Your Friends Are Dead, is coming soon to SRS Cinema. We had a great talk about his dry bar special. Maybe too much talk about horror movies, but if you like horror movies, we talked about Phantasm. And one of my favorite sessions of Is This Anything. Speaking of Is This Anything, I've gotten some great feedback on the joke workshopping. If you send me your tags to scott at the btbpc.com or hit me up on the socials, I'll read your tags at the beginning of the next episode. That will make you podcast famous, and I know you want that. While I have your attention, I'd love to get behind the bits out to all the folks that would like to learn about the nuts and bolts of stand-up comedy. If you haven't subscribed on your favorite app, please hit the subscribe button. You can also leave a review on your favorite podcast app. And most importantly, a like, share, and comment on my social media post does so much to push Behind the Bits up the algorithm. Oh, hey, and don't forget to tell your friends too. I really appreciate you listening, and I hope you feel Behind the Bits is good enough to share. And now let's get into the Ricky Glore conversation. It's a good one. Oh.
1: How are you? Good. I was just sharing the link on all my um, my social medias. So if there's anybody that is hopping around and sees this, maybe they can hop on uh, the little live stream here. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's nice. I uh, yeah. I I discovered you through the Dry Bar, um, which is a few years old now, um, and and really enjoyed it. And it's just so funny how. Drybar has just become this monolith of uh comedy content and that they are um that this whole you know clean comedy thing has taken such a surge and it's starting to, i think it's i don't know if you've seen it but it's starting to show up in the clubs now too you know the the there's a new focus on the more more clean comedy
1: yeah there's uh it's it's weird but I just had this conversation with a couple friends of mine last night who are also creatives but um the idea of if you ever hear anyone say oh you can't be funny anymore you can't joke about that anymore blah 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 there's no comedian worth his salt that is saying that Because even risque comedians, they're not saying that. Like, you don't hear a Dave Chappelle or a Bill Burr being like, oh, you can't be funny anymore. You can't say things anymore. They're just doing it. Yeah. People are offended, whatever. But where that's working in favor for the kind of clean comics for clubs or or venues or breweries, vineyards, wineries that have turned into, like, the modern-day coffee houses, um, happy to put up whatever kind of entertainment, they will ask, well, can you work clean? And if you can say, yeah, that at least gets you in the door of a conversation to then, if they're like, you can be like, all right, how clean do you want? And then you say, if you, again, are a comedian that has worked enough, you kind of have the parameters of knowing where you can fit in. You go, what well, do you want? Squeaky clean, PG clean? Do you want PG-13 clean? Do you want late night talk show clean? Right. Or do you want a little bit more risque late night talk show clean to somewhat R? And then the people that thought they wanted clean that didn't know that there was variations of that will then think about what their audience likes and they'll go, oh, you know what? They like clean, but they like it a little naughty. Like, and then they like, (laughs) they're like, "Mm." Do the Chris Farley thing. yeah. But then, then a lot of places will be like, either like, you know, if it's a church or something or if it's a club that is like, we're really pushing this as... 18 and up, um, or all ages or whatever, mm. then they'll say squeaky clean. But otherwise of uh, most places that think they want clean turns out they really want just late night talk show clean, Yeah. which that the, the width of what kind of material and things you can talk about on late night talk show TV now is, is a pretty wide spectrum. Right. And I've never felt the restraints of doing a show. And if, you're asked, "Can you work clean?" And you can say yes. You're going to find yourself working way more.
0: Right, right. And I think sometimes the definition you talk about these definitions of clean, but sometimes they just they just don't want you to be like social media. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, because everybody says everything on social media, and and a lot of it is just you know, trash and, yeah. uh, and a lot of comedians, a lot of, especially newer comedians, they pick up on that and they think that's what they're supposed to say on stage. And it's, I mean,
1: it's, it's this breath of like negativity where, I mean, yeah, social media is a great way to connect everyone, but it also is, um, you either your opinions have to be, I'm a hundred percent for it, which then a hundred percent invites negativity of being against it. There's no social gray area. I mean, and I guess that, that is kind of what entertainment is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you you get, and this isn't a new thing. This has been since even when I started doing stand up in 2005. And hearing people talk about stand ups in the 90s or the 80s boom is you'll have, for me, two types of comedians: comedians who their main goal is to get up on stage and entertain. And you usually can't put them in a box of like, well, they're a dry comedian or they're a one-liner or whatever. Those comedians usually can have a wide spectrum of kind of the entertainer they are. More of a vaudevillian, old-school kind of just entertainer. Their goal is to entertain whoever comes, whoever the audience is, to not get upset with them, um, not to berate them. They want to make the room laugh. And by the end of the night, they want everyone to have a good time. That doesn't mean placate. Right. But there's that there's that entertainer, and then there's the comedian that goes up on stage, and their primary goal is to show you how smart they are and how funny they are. And I think an audience can smell that a mile away. Yeah, and those tend to be the more cynical ones who end up berating an audience when they don't get a response they think they deserve.
0: Right. Right.
1: Yeah. With social media, that's where I where you were just saying the negative kind of comedian, who is just. It's hard. It's hard to parse it because the hardest thing for a comedian is finding your voice. And Mm -hmm. that only takes time and diligence of performing. Your voice could be cynical ranty McRanterson. Yeah. And, but starting off that way, I don't know. It it seems to have a very short shelf life.
0: Yeah. And you, I, I, have always said you almost have to earn it. And, Mm -hmm. and, and I, got to talk to somebody who knew Lewis black in the early days and he was pretty much in the early days like he is now, but it didn't work because he hadn't earned it yet. Uh, you know, he, he knew his voice and, and he knew what he wanted to do. But the thing is, is the audience just, just didn't get him yet.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, you, you there, and he, part of, coming up with your voice and figuring out your character. And then you know, there were some stand ups like, well, that's not honest. You should be your honest self and blah blah blah. Um he did it because he had a speech impediment.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: he talked fast and he worked it into to ranting because yeah. like Mel Tillis, a country singer, has a terrible speech impediment. You would never know it by hearing him sing. Right. Yeah. But that's, there's something lyrical to the way that you, you control your voice that overcomes that speech impediment. And then a lot of that has to do with confidence. Again, this past weekend, and I know we're going to do a bit, talk about um, bits we're working on, uh-huh. but an audience can smell from a mile away the confidence in your voice when you're working a new bit. And just like, even if you think you're like, I'm selling it so well, You have to remember that it is new, so don't kill your babies if it doesn't work the first time. Right, yeah. (laughs) Know that the audience, for some even subconscious reason that they might not even know, they might not laugh at it that hard because they can tell the distinction between the stuff you're really smooth at doing and Mm -hmm. you've made it feel seamless versus this thing that you're not a hundred percent confident with yet.
0: Yeah. Do you have any kind of criteria when you do that new stuff? Because and I've I've done it long enough that I I know it's not gonna land the way I want it the first time. And it's gonna if personally I feel like if it steadily gets better to the point where I think it's good enough that I can roll with it, then I'll keep it in for a while. Mm -hmm. But do you have any kind of criteria? Okay. You know, I, I did this bit, I put it in the middle of uh, two great bits and it just died. Um, I'm going to try, try it again. And I get a little bit more. Do you, do you have a point to where you say, okay, I need to put this back for a while and come back to
1: it. (laughs) Um, uh, yeah. And that to me is almost two separate questions. Uh, one of which the first part I can say the little bit of advice and the advice that I got from, um, seasoned comedians earlier on, which has been helped me now in this age of, um, filming everything and having crowd work to put online for self-promotion and stuff. So many comedians are, worried about filming every set because, oh, what if something happens that I can put online to go viral? That's good. And that's a big part of like the self-marketing and branding yourself. But if you're working on stuff, I think you should be less worried about filming and more worried about recording the audio and playing it back because hearing it, that is how it hits an audience's ear first. Mm -hmm. Doing the the mechanics of whatever physical attribute that you want to do or act out or dramatics comes later after you get the cadence down. After you you make sure that you're articulating it well enough, um, and you're getting your point across. You're getting you're hitting the joke right. That they, he can understand what you're saying. The cadence, the pace, blah blah blah.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So I think audio recording, and that will help you figure out. Okay, is this placed in the right area? Is this chunked with other? things that are like it or relatable to it. So it's not a logic leap or it's not a big mental leap, like taking a commercial break in the audience's mind to then go to this new ad, this new thing. Um, I've definitely, I worked on this one bit for a really long time that just never worked. And I'd talk about it with other comics and they'd be like, Oh, that's funny. And I kept on working it in different ways, presenting it different ways, different part of my set And it was about um, caveman serial killers. That the first um, serial killers were cavemen. But if you had like a law and order of it or whatever, every episode would be the same. It is, what's the weapon? It's a rock. Like, (laughs) blah, 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 blah. And like the questioning of the, if it was law and order and you're going to questioning the different people the people that get you from point A to point B to get more evidence, it was always the same. It was, but anyway, it, this bit that like I tried so much and like, I'd come home and I tell my wife and I'd be like caveman serial killer didn't work again tonight. I tried doing this and this. And she's like, honey, I know you think it's funny. And maybe some of your other comedy friends think it's funny. Audiences don't think it's funny. You gotta, (laughs) you gotta let it go. And I'm like,
0: all right, it's hard, though. I've, I've had a few that I just absolutely love that it, it, it's just not going to work. One of them is uh, dissing Led Zeppelin. And you, you just can't diss Led Zeppelin. It just doesn't work. They, it, they, they don't even boo you most of the time. They just go totally silent.
1: <laughs> and it's crazy because I think Led Zeppelin, uh, maybe I'm not speaking correctly in this, never had a top five hit or even a top three hit. I don't think they have a number one. Song. I don't think so. Yeah. 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 I think maybe not of a band.
0: Yeah. I think stairway to heaven was probably their biggest charter and it may have hit top 10, but yeah. And, and my joke is, is really like, you know, I talk about boomers cause I am one and how we hang on to Led Zeppelin. And I'm like, well, Led Zeppelin's a fine band. I've just listened mm-hmm. to enough Led Zeppelin. I don't need anymore. <laughs> and and it it just like it's just like bam. It sucks mm-hmm. all the energy out of the audience <laughs> because kids, you know, you know, 18-year-olds love Led Zeppelin now.
1: And Well, there's a there's a funny um TikTok video where a guy's going around and approaching people at like a theme park that are wearing band t-shirts uh-huh. that are sold at like Walmart and stuff and whatnot. And like this woman's wearing a kiss t-shirt and he's like, I'll give you $5. If you name three kiss songs, (laughs) because of another person wearing Led Zeppelin's like, I'll give you $5. If you name two Led Zeppelin songs and like, no one can name the songs until he gets to this guy, which like stereotypical Ozzy Osbourne looking fan wearing a black Sabbath shirt. And he's like, give you $5. If you name three Ozzy Osbournes or black Sabbath songs. And he, he does immediately.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's funny my uh i caught my daughter with a a blondie t-shirt on uh, a few years ago and she was able to name the songs because she actually likes music so that that was helpful (laughs) One, one of the bits that i love of yours that that came up this is funny this is just a personal story that came up uh when we were facetiming my grandson he's four uh so it was a whole dad bod thing and and he was um he was saying he said something like uh you know why does why does daddy have daddy and grandpa have big stomachs and uh no butt because he's like he he's he's totally obsessed with butts right now and my daughter said well that's a dad bod that's that that's what you get when when you're a dad and I had just listened to your dry bar right before that and and uh so we're talking about dad bods and there was like a pause and then he just started crying and he's he said I don't want a dad bod (laughs) I just thought, oh man, this is perfect. I I, I have to work this in as a bit myself because the kid does not want a dad.
1: (laughs) And you're just like abstinence, learn it now. Yeah. (laughs) No, and that's like part of my bit was, um, was, you know, that I had, and I was much heavier for a lot of years. Uh, It's a new bit now that's on the new album. I extrapolated more from that idea is just like, it's nice that men get a cute nickname for how their bodies look after they have a kid. They've done nothing to make that child. (laughs) They didn't carry around a, they didn't carry around a human being and them stretching out their bodies for nine months to look the way they do. Uh No, I carried around a one pound bag of Cheetos for 20 years. (laughs) Like, yeah, just that whole idea of like, why like why do we get a cute nickname for that to excuse our softness but it's because there's no woman in the world that would want a nickname describing how their bodies look after they pushed a child outside right of yeah
0: <laughs> the mom bod yeah yeah that doesn't yep. work
1: <laughs> mom shape or wife weight yeah
0: <laughs> one of my favorite uh bits on the new album of. Uh, world's greatest dad is the whole size of shirts thing. Oh, thank you. What? So, you know, just, just to go into it, you talk about the size of shirts and how it makes you feel bad, bad about yourself. Um, what did it take to get that bit from start to finish? That seems like one that's got some time on it that you've been working it for quite a while. What did it take to get from when you came up with the idea to what you put on the
1: album? What's crazy with that one is that is still one that doesn't consistently work. Um, That one sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. I can take the blame a bit of myself and it is one that I've worked for a long time. Um, I was working on that when I did my first album and it never worked the way I wanted it to. So I, I sidelined it. Um, There was a couple extra things around it that, I have felt m- supported a little bit more of like going into um, clothing sizes for my my daughter, my toddler, and then just being like babies and how how great it is that little kids, babies, and toddlers have their own sizing system up into a certain age, five mm-hmm. t, and after that they have to join the real world yeah. of sizes. <laughs> and like being someone who did, who has lost weight, a hundred and 40 pounds in the last year. Like I can shop in stores now. Yeah. Like target would have only up to two X's and I was wearing a three X or a four X sometimes. And I, because I think we different people push back on this, but I think we are a sizeist culture where we don't want people of a certain size shopping inside target, which target is known for being a more affluent, better looking Walmart. Yeah. So they want their milfs, they want their college kids, they want, you know, so they didn't want someone who looked at me when I was wearing four X's because they sell those clothes online. They just never kept them stocked in their store. Right. So I just thought of like, oh, well, like the names of shirts even make me feel like we're shaming people. And there's a, there's an extra joke that I actually just thought of this past weekend. And it's not even a joke yet. It's more of an observation. And just a play on words that I don't know if there is a joke there, but is um, for the album, it's uh, who came up with the names of shirt sizes? Like the first ones, and you ask the audience, small, and then someone says extra small. It's like extra small. and like, it's small because small rhymes with all. Like, that's cute. Middle, medium, medium middle of the road, average, nothing exciting there. And then the last one is large, like large, like no one feels good wearing a large. It's, you're just saying that you're large and that I'm like, and the person who came up with the names, how lazy did they get that after that? They're like, I can't think of any more names. Like if you get any bigger (laughs) than a large, we're just going to throw some X's and numbers in front of it. (laughs) The, the supplemental stuff that I thought of this weekend was because I keep on asking the audience What the names of the sizes are and progressively go and women say extra small and i'm like it's so interesting no man ever from the audience says extra small it's women because that is a badge of honor of like wearing extra small Mm -hmm. and made me think of the word play of to me it's interesting that there is extra small that means smaller than small there is more small yeah There is less shirt, but it's extra small. But when you get to the other end of the spectrum, it's extra large, which means more shirt. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know what the joke is there, but I think it's interesting that there is extras on both end of the spectrum, but they both mean something that is the complete opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there, There is something there. Yeah. I don't know what it is yet, but I just thought of it this weekend that yeah. wordplay, and i'm like i don't know what the joke is but there's something interesting that when it's small and it's extra and see this is the nerdy com- comic thing like i'll probably present this the next time we do a I do a road trip with like two opening comedians uh-huh. i'll throw this out in the car and I'll be like hey i'm working on this thing blah 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 and we'll maybe talk about it. And then 30 minutes later, someone will say, well, what if it's this? And then we'll be like, "Yeah, eh, nah.
2: Yeah. Or if yeah. you
1: do come up with something, it'd be like, okay, tonight I'm going to slide that in the bit here and see if it works. And then let's see if we ruminate on anything else. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. That's the, that, it's, it's good to be able to do that. And, and I do think you have something because especially if you go on the material, because extra small, is less material yet extra Mm -hmm. large is more material and it costs three times more you know (laughs) Which has always been the case because I had to go to big and tall places for so long. And now, oh, yeah. now big and tall places don't cater to me because I'm a large tall and they all start at extra large tall. And so it's yeah. all, all too big on me. And I've, I've tried jokes around that before. And if you're not, if you're not in it, if you don't, if you're not my height and have to go there, you just don't understand it. So it, it's well,
1: all my height. All my heights in my torso. Yeah. So like I have a hard time with button down shirts being long enough too. I have yeah. short legs. I have twenty nine inch legs. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. And I'm five, ten and a half. So oh, all yeah. my height isn't my yeah.
0: torso. Yeah, I, I think you're you're built exactly like my son in law because he's all torso too. And he's he's I think he's five ten and a half, five eleven, something like that. That's funny. So one of the things and this isn't really comedy related, but um it I can tell that you are a horror geek because I did a little bit of uh, internet stalking, and one of your favorite movies is *Phantasm*. And all
1: the posters, yeah. around me, yeah. *Psycho* two, yeah. Halloween two, *Scream* two, *Nightmare on Elm Street*, *Phantasm* too.
0: yeah. And I, I'm a huge *Phantasm* fan, and I, um. I like the fact that you're doing th- this movies coming out and mm-hmm. I, w- I wanted to talk about that a little bit because I watched a trailer and it looks pretty intriguing. Um, and I know you've got a joke about it. Talk talking about how the, uh, the killer's never the fat guy. And, yeah. and, and, uh, so what's the movie about? Because I'm intrigued by it.
1: The movies, uh, all your friends are dead. Hyper. Uh, super indie, low budget. We made it for $5,959. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, I wrote, directed, starred in, produced, costumed, did everything. When you're making a movie for that little, you have to do everything. And so that's one of the only reasons that I'm in it, because we needed a dedicated actor that when me and a co-director and the cinematographer, Nicholas Hainz, when we were constructing the story, we were like, okay, whoever our lead is, we have to have it be someone. And we have to have the story be something that we could do stuff that is just them in the camera. Mm -hmm. Like, well, that's me. And so the story we came up with was semi autobiographical. Um, I had hurt my knee playing football in high school. I was a a state wrestler, baseball player, and did football also dabbled in theater and chorus and stuff, Uh but definitely was on the sports track. And, Uh, I was in a wheelchair for six months and had to have three knee surgeries. But then immediately when I could, I auditioned for West Side Story, the spring musical. Um, Did that and then did theater all of my senior year and then went to college for theater and for writing and for playwriting. Um, And then improv and sketch comedy, trying to live the SNL dream, Mm -hmm. eventually moved to Chicago. But so my injury could have easily put me in a very, I mean, I had a very good support system, but I could have fallen into a bout of depression and drinking and painkillers, which I definitely did drink the most that I've ever drank was during that time of recuperation. Uh But I did have, um, not to a detrimental point. Um, but we were looking at that and we were like, okay, what if, I was that and I went the other way that I got, that I was, I was king of the mountain or why I like to. Am I, am I allowed to loosely curse on this? Yeah. Or stay yeah. Clean? Oh yeah. Okay. King should have turned mountain in uh-huh. <laughs> this like Northern Kentucky, like uh, a star football player who has his tight knit group of friends, like the breakfast club um, and gets hurt. And then disconnects from those. Well, so I said, I was like, if I hadn't gotten hurt in high school, I'd have gone probably to Cumberland College in Kentucky to, to wrestle.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I probably would have gotten hurt in college. Um, and like, what would I have done with my life? Like, what would I yeah. have done with getting hurt with a wrestling degree? Yeah. Like, maybe I would have pivoted then, but that would have been later and would have been probably harder to deal with. So what if that had happened? And I had gone into depression and drugs and alcohol and disconnected myself from all my friends. And then years later, what if it then became, what if it went from The Breakfast Club becomes The Big Chill and goes camping in a Friday the 13th movie? (laughs) And so that's what the movie's about. Um, It deals a lot with mental health. It deals a lot with What happens when the teenage slasher movie grows up? Uh So instead of high school kids or even college kids out camping, what if it's middle-aged people who have the struggle? Instead of the struggles being like, "Oh, I wonder if I'm gonna get laid this weekend," or "Oh, I wonder if that guy or girl likes me." Yeah, I hope I don't get killed. It's, (laughs) boof. I got kids and taxes (laughs) and a mortgage and a divorce (laughs) and my life isn't not going the way I thought it should be going. So all the horrors of real life world for people 38 and 40 years old, then a masked psychopath killer shows up to pick them off one by one. So they had their, there's the real life fear. So the movie is a dark comedy slasher film. And, um, it, it was interesting to balance mental health because we, sensitive and aware enough and to know that any humor based around that is going to be impossible for some people to watch or not want to take part of. Mm-hmm. But we handled it in a way that any of the humor that had to deal with suicide or mental health was earnest humor. So like one of the jokes to give an example of that is my character goes to kill himself and hang himself. And while we were filming it, I was like, oh, I got to look up a YouTube tutorial on how to tie a proper noose knot. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Nick Hines, the co writer and co director, was like, oh, this needs to be part of the movie.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: you're going to watch a tutorial on how to kill yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, that's hilarious. And so, like, the, the, a lot of the humor dealing with that is just honest, kind of awkward, relatable humor. Um, and the commentary,
0: the commentary that there are YouTube videos showing you how to kill yourself, I think is, it's, it's really good to be in the movie. Just, I mean, just saying, you know, if you want to, there, there's stuff out there to show you, showing you how to make a bomb. There's stuff showing you how to tie a noose properly. There, anything you want's out there.
1: And luckily when you go to Google, if you type in how to tie a noose, the suicide prevention hotline number is the first thing up Yeah. <laughs> so that is good. And like, we have that at the end of the movie too. I mean, there, there's been a few people that are just like, that doesn't skirt the issue of you're making fun of it. like, Oh, we're not making fun of it. But horror fans, horror and comedy, I think congruently run the same path. Like, uh, yeah. eliciting a fear or a scream is very similar to eliciting a laugh. Right. And if you can play those things off of one another, you can maybe get a more intense scare or a more intense laugh because you're on that roller coaster. Yeah. And, and so we were lucky enough to, um, after some festivals get a, a small distribution with SRS cinema who release very indie, um, uh, really some fun, like uh niche horror movies. So that's going to be on a limited run Blu-ray starting to be sold on their website in March. And then it's going to be on digital streaming. And we're looking to get a couple investors and producers for our next horror comedy slash musical that we're looking <laughs> to film in July. That's
0: great. That's
1: I I've been,
0: I've been a horror fan since I was a kid and uh, I had a couple guys in South Bend that we would just sit around and talk about horror movies and they had a podcast about horror movies and I'd bring in ones that they'd never heard of and like the, the old hammer films and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. And, and it, it's, uh, it's always fun and it's uh, comedians in general, are geeky about something other than comedy. They they they've all got a geek, and, and some of it's Dungeons and Dragons, some of it's um, you know the Marvel universe or Star Wars or stuff like that. When I find a a real hardcore horror geek, I know that I'm talking to one of my people, and and there's not as many of uh, of the hardcore horror geeks, but. Uh, if you're a hardcore horror geek, you're also probably either a comedian or
1: a comedy geek too. (laughs) Well, I mean, and I think we're seeing that we're seeing the representation of humor and horror, um, being kind of a peanut butter and jelly right now. You have Jordan Peele Mm -hmm. who is one of the top mentioned people when you're talking about horror right now in the last 15 years. And then, Ari Oster who did hereditary and Midsommar mm-hmm. um, Midsommar which I grew up loving Wicker Man which yeah. is one of my favorite horror movies the original one not the Nick Cage one when um, you mentioned Hammer Christopher Lee in there and a yeah. lot of Hammer people in there yeah but Midsommar it's a divisive movie some people love it some people hate it but like for me I thought the movie was hilarious because how honest it is with the relationship and the humors and the situations. Yeah. And so like that is what is jazz and me about wanting to, to, to do. So I also do a lot of musical stuff and I did in Chicago with my black box, uh, live theater musicals. Mm-hmm. I think m- music is also, one of the most emotionally expressive things and can tap into people. So if you can add that to the track of comedy and horror and music, so you get those three emotions and you can blend and play those off each other. Yeah. That's, that's what really, um, really excites me about doing anything film wise. You mentioned phantasm. Like, yeah, if you find like there are people who are just like, Oh yeah, I like horror. I like Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger. Like that's fine. Or Ghostface. Yeah. Phantasm should be more popular than it is. And I think it is inching more and more, but like you mentioning being a fan of that and I'm like, Oh, okay. This guy, this guy's good taste in horror.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, so I, I remember seeing that on a VHS tape that I rented in the eighties and the, um, so I thought two was a little bit better than one. It's the uh,
1: Terminator 2. yeah. It's aliens,
0: yeah. It's
1: and, bigger, uh, more action, yeah.
0: But that last one that came out a few years ago was just nuts, uh, and and seeing everybody <laughs> old, it it was yeah. just it was it was kind of hard to watch, but it it, it was still interesting. But
1: um, They're doing and the kudos to them, like David Hartman who uh, took over the directing duties from Don Coscarelli for that and was a major writer on it. I interviewed on a on a movie podcast that we used to do. And me and my co-host, who are big fans, I mean P-H-A-N-S fans. Yeah. (laughs) Phantasm fans of the series, like every time a Phantasm movie would come out, I would so like when four came out, which was incredibly low budget, they would take like five years. Like so the first sequel came out ten years after the first one. Yeah the third sequel came out five years after the second one. The fourth sequel came out five years after the third, like, yeah, I would be like, Oh, the story's so complex. It's so interesting. I think they know where they're going. And the fourth one was supposed to be the last one. I'm like, you brought up more questions (laughs) in that one. (laughs) And so then I met Don Coscarelli and I was like, so is it this, is it this, is it this? He's like, look, I'm gonna be honest with you. I just made it up from movie to movie. Yeah. I was like, oh, so David Hartman, who was a fan was like, okay, I was trying to string some of these ideas together to, to put a finite end on it. Uh-huh. And the, the stuff he did, I mean, they were just geeking out now on fantastic yeah. avenger in the series <laughs> and people are like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> um, but they started making that as a webisode web series that was going to be called Reggie tales. Oh, okay. Reggie of tales. Yeah and so they strung those together to make the movie and then filmed more stuff that took them i think 10 years or 12 years yeah i remember there was a lot of, yeah there was a lot of time around it yeah so and that and so Phantasm deals with dimensions and time but angus Grimm was so old and they didn't give him a wig to yeah. make his hair look li- like there's a lot of interesting things in ravenger and it is an indie movie in all sense of the term. Yeah. It's just unfortunate that it it wasn't as good as Phantasm fans have felt the series could be. So that is one of the few series, like, Elm Street's my number one. Uh, My favorite franchise. uh, Love what Wes Craven did with Elm Street. Yeah, I think it's the scariest because it's the closest any moviegoer can have to, um, like... Yeah, there could be someone in a mask chasing you, but you can watch A Nightmare on Elm Street and that night go to bed and go through exactly what the kids in the movies go through yeah. by having a dream of Freddy. Um, that being said, if any studio was ever like, Ricky Glore, we love what you're doing. We, What's your take on a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie? I'd be like, no, thank you. I, <laughs> I have too much love and respect for the original. But if they came to me and they said, What franchise would you like to reboot or do a new spin on? I think Phantasm could be an an amazing miniseries, like an HBO Max miniseries or Netflix or a new series of films because at its core, the story of family and chosen family of Jody, Mike, and Reggie and the loss of parents and just all the themes and metaphors and symbolism... I think are so rich and there in that series that it could, if you planned out a beginning, middle, and end for a new franchise or a miniseries, I think it could be amazing because yeah. it already has um, a Ray Bradbury something this something wicked this way comes vibe.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it,
1: you. It's sci-fi <laughs> without
0: without yeah. understanding exactly where the sci-fi
1: comes from, and and that's yeah. that's my rant on Phantasm. Yeah, have you ever, have never seen it i do suggest like when i've shown phantasm to people who aren't familiar i do typically show them two first yeah because i think it is the more uh, the easiest one to swallow
0: yeah 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 for sure it 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 makes it it makes more sense and there's a little bit more plot and Mm -hmm. uh yeah 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 for sure okay uh, enough horror talk
1: uh welcome back to horror talk yeah
0: I just couldn't resist, you know. When I find a phantasm fan, I, I have to bring it up because there's. Well, and,
1: and on my first two albums, so on the um, Dad Bod Dry Bar special, two of my bits from Spitting Image, the horror bits are on there. World's greatest dad participant. Um, I have two new horror bits on there, and then I'm going to be filming my next uh, filmed special in April for Four by Three Comedy. And uh, you'll see those two bits from the album and another smaller bit that wasn't on the album um, because yeah, I do. I, I love horror.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you could probably do a whole album just about horror movies,
1: the glossiness of some people's faces yeah. when you're talking about horror though. yeah. Like, I mean, it's never like completely not worked, but I'm definitely more excited than most of the people in the audience.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so before we get into, is this anything, the fact that you've been doing this since you were a young guy, you were, were you in your early twenties when you started?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I was 19.
0: 19. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. I, I started in 2005, uh, my local comedy club. Cause I was born and raised in Northern Kentucky. They had a funny bone at Newport on the levee and, Uh, they used to have 18 and up shows, first show uh, Friday and first show Saturday, I think. And maybe their Thursday show was 18 and up. And then my dad and I would go, and then one day they made it all 21 and up. And I was just like, oh, man. And then I looked, and Kentucky has a weird law where you can be 19 in a day and serve alcohol. (laughs) So I applied to be a server there is the loophole. Since I couldn't see shows, I could work there and Uh see shows. And while doing that, I saw that they were offering a stand-up class taught by Jeff Jenna, another dry bar comedian. Uh Um, And I signed up for that class. And the first class, there was like 50 students. And the first class was free. And he said, "Um, if you're in this class because you think I can make you funnier, don't come to the next class where I start charging you money. He's like, but if you're here because I'm going to make you write every week and get on stage and perform two minutes of original material every week and help you hone your voice in what you think you should be talking about on stage, which it'll culminate in everybody doing a five-minute set in front of a packed house. Uh-huh. He's like, then yes, stay with the class. I will give you prompts. I will Give you my opinion on your material even if i don't think it's funny i'll try to see if it's the most honest version of you and blah blah blah, blah. Mm-hmm. next class there were 10 of us uh-huh. and um i took that class and because i worked there as a server i started doing the open mics there started doing bar open mics all around cincinnati and northern kentucky and then um after i graduated the class and i kind of pseudo auditioned for the general manager at the club Um, I got my first weekend, which was for, for finesse Mitchell in, uh, 2005 or beginning of 2006 Uh and then kind of became the house MC and definitely serving there anytime anyone from SNL or that I was a big fan of was coming through, I'd see him on the calendar and I'd be like, can I MC for them? Can I MC for them? (laughs) Like having no awareness of like the differences between urban acts and me being, super white and nerdy yeah 19 year old kid of just being like i don't care it's an audience right right <laughs> but then a lot of those comics like finesse mitchell my first weekend like he didn't straight up say like is this your first weekend he was just like have you ever performed in front of a black audience <laughs> and i was like yeah of course he's like okay good so you know that off the bat as the mc you have to be in their face and be louder than they are and don't stand up against the wall, like yeah. be on the lip of the stage. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But so like that immediately like, I learned and I was just like, Oh, okay. A little bit. He's like, cause they'll eat you alive. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then, so it, it was just having that like comedy school of, um, my first, weekend that i did 30 minutes and started kind of transitioning into feature act was jim brewer i was supposed to emcee and this is a couple years in uh working at the funny bone and the show was about to start and jim uh brewer and the feature act weren't there yet so the sound guy came down to me and the lights were off standing uh stage left and he's just like hey um you got to just keep on going (laughs) and he's like i'll give you a, a flashy light to bring up the feature act and here's his name. And I was like, all right. And at that time I was like, I maybe had 20 minutes Uh that I felt comfortable. And, uh, I was like, all right, I guess I'll do some crowd work and try. I mean, it was an MC. You're not supposed to do crowd work. Right. And so the show's getting ready to start and the, uh, the announcers getting ready to say, welcome to the stage. Your local host and MC Ricky Glore and Jim Brewer comes up. I had not, not met him yet. And he's like, hey, man, he's like, are you you Ricky or the MC for the weekend, man? And I was like, yeah. he's like, okay, there's not going to be a feature act, man. You got to go up there and do 35 minutes and then just bring me up. (laughs) Okay, have a good show. And, like, (laughs) walk away. And I was like, okay. And so then the whole weekend was just him and me, me doing 35 and bringing him up and doing an hour. And so, like, In that first 35 minutes, like I go up on stage and it's that out of body, like my mouth is going for my opening joke, but like I'm in words are coming out and I'm moving and doing it. But in my head, I'm like, okay, I've got to do 35 minutes, I got to slow this down. Do I extend this, make jokes on my feet about this? There's this new thing I hadn't done before, let's do that in the middle because, like just almost like a beautiful mind doing the math equations, which yeah. is awful at math, uh-huh. but like doing that. So like the, the having it afforded to me that I could work with so many different kind of acts and in different ways at that funny bone from 2005 to about 2009 was so valuable. Yeah. Um, that, that was my, my, my comedy school, my comedy training. Um, Jerry Seinfeld's documentary, Comedian, used to be my Bible. Uh-huh. Um, and then when Orny Adams came through, I was like, oh, that's that asshole from Comedian. Yeah. He's going to be awful. And I went and saw him on a Thursday. And it is still to this day one of the funniest hours I've ever seen. Wow. So smart yeah. energy. Afterwards, I, like, I, he didn't know I worked there because I just came on my night off and i was just like oh my god i was like i love the documentary comedian and blah 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 he's like oh thanks man he's like what do you do i'm like oh i work here but i'm off and i also do stand up and he's like oh are you working sunday and i was like no i'm off sunday and he's like you want to come and do 20 minutes and i was like okay like no comedian offers someone they have no idea who they are yeah right 20 minutes and he did and that was such and he he was awesome. He was awesome to talk to and work with. And that, yeah, that working there, at the funny bone being a house MC for, uh, four years was just like comedy college. Yeah, I bet. I bet.
0: It's funny. One of the common themes, you're probably the hundred and forty fifth comic I've talked to and one of the common themes is is almost everybody gets thrown into something that they're not ready for or they don't think they're ready for and when they come out of that and they're okay that seems to be the impetus to keep you going on
1: yes yeah, the trial by the trial by fire hundred yeah. percent I had taken some time off like doing uh, stand-up intermittently while I lived in Chicago from 2009 to 2017. But um, because I was doing sketch, uh, improv, and then black box theater, um, stand-up kind of went on the back burner. And anybody that loves stand-up in Chicago, Zanies that used to be run by Bert Haas, I've had my Bert Haas experience, um, plenty of stories about that. But when I moved back to Northern Kentucky after I got married, I started leaning more into stand-up because the scene kind of changed. There wasn't as much um, affordability for theater in Northern Kentucky, but I realized, Oh, it doesn't matter what your home base is. You can do stand-up and take it on the road. And what's interesting about a lot of comedians and musicians, a lot of creatives in the Cincinnati area have a, don't ask for opportunities or don't make opportunities for yourself. Wait until you are, you are asked yeah and like that has never been my mentality on anything yeah i I, like you got to be your own champion and you got to make things happen and ask and blah 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 yeah and so after being back for about eight months in 2017 i hooked up with some other comics that i had worked with previously and some new ones that i just met and we started figuring out that breweries like i said before are modern day coffee houses and i put together a tour where there'd be three comedians, an MC, a feature, and a headliner, where every show on this tour out of state that we would do, we called it the Brew Crew Comedy Tour. Uh-huh. None of us had names. Not to be confused, with there's another brewery comedy tour thing. Um, we just came up with that name because none of us had any notoriety. So no one was going to come out and see us. Uh-huh. Just something catchy. Every show we did, we would rotate where we were in the lineup. So it would work, make us work on our times. Right. Maybe we didn't have 40 minutes, but we were going to work it. And then the next show we would be MC. Then the next show we'd be featured working those different muscles. And I did that for a year and then submitted to dry bar. So then after being back for a year, that's how I then pivoted into dry bar, just pushing myself to, to keep going up the ladder and doing as many shows out of like, I don't do a lot of shows in Cincinnati, or Uh in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, I do most, and I work on most, I don't do a lot of open mics. I work on my stuff on the road Mm -hmm. and it's, I, I could, but it's not like New York city and it's not like LA where there's these awesome open mics every night of the week there is a very and i know there's different scenes like this cincinnati has a very territorial scene but unfortunately a lot of comedians in cincinnati don't leave this don't leave the city yeah yeah
0: and one of the things about open mics i was uh, talking to somebody about this last night because i still do quite a few open mics is the you don't get people like you showing up to the open mics anymore. You don't get, you you don't get the veteran comic showing up. So there's nothing really there that makes you want to elevate your game. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you don't, you don't see anything to aspire to because you're all pretty much on the same level.
1: And yeah. And I've, I've happily, um, what's hard for me is I'm a little bit of an orphan when it comes to having a comedy home because my Newport on the Levy club closed while I was in Chicago and the other comedy club was go bananas. And they are more, um, they are a, a more like, we know we're against the corporate of the getting paid to do stand up. Yeah. um, (laughs) I mean, they're the more emo, more like, oh, we're it's art and stand-up is just standing there and dryly telling jokes and blah blah blah. And like that's fine, but like I was I will forever be branded with the scarlet letter of having started at Funny Bone. Yeah. You know, a corporate business entity. And I, I mean I get the merits for both kind of clubs. Um you go bananas is more avant garde and that's that is fine, but like, I don't have that home club, I don't have that loyalty here but whenever anyone does put on a show, or runs a new mic, if they reach out to me, and they're like hey, if you ever have anything to work on, feel free to come by, I've done that Mm. it's just there, I mean, I've heard some people talk about this in St. Louis and stuff and it's everywhere, but like when i was down in florida for about four months over the summer i have never felt more accepted than in the miami um oh. open mic scene uh-huh. like i i had to be down there for some family things uh, with my in-laws uh, my father-in-law passed away and um when i started going i had to cancel some some scheduled gigs that i had and then when after the, the family things are being taken care of i, I started doing some more mics and rescheduling those shows and um, was only supposed to be there for two weeks. ended up being there for like three months. Uh Um, And so I just reached out to a couple uh, people that ran some mics in Miami and around that area. And they, that scene was so warm and welcoming. Like, and I hate to besmirch the scene where I live around, Mm -hmm. but man, if the scene up here was like, it is down there of how they're like on mics. They had these people doing characters. They had a magician on it and they were just like, yeah, man, whatever makes this mic the coolest and gets audiences here on a Wednesday, a Thursday or a Tuesday, like we're down to do. Uh And I was like, this is great. You guys are doing it right here. And their, their audiences were packed.
0: Yeah. That, that makes sense. I, I have always loved mixed open mics with the Mm -hmm. with the music the characters poetry you know all all that kind of stuff and
1: cleansers
0: yeah and i always did it because it gave you more time yeah because it was usually 10-15 minutes they'd give you instead of three to five and oh
1: and that's yeah the yeah the three to five minutes and having 30 comedians Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You're not stretching any muscles. You're right. doing it for other comedians. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I will be the first to say when someone goes up on stage with an instrument, a guitar a piano, and look, I play a ukulele uh-huh. in some of my shows. I do have a little bit of a, oh, all right. Yeah. Let's see this. But like, I'm always down for it, and I'm always more pleasantly surprised yeah. than I am you know, upset after. Their
0: yeah. Time. Same, same. Yeah. We've got a guy here locally that will um, bring a guitar up on stage and re- really short, funny songs, but he incorporates a, he'll put the guitar, ta- guitar down and do a little bit of, stand up then i'll pick the guitar back up it's a nice mix and he he's got a pretty good idea he's newer but he's got a pretty good idea of how much music he can get away with and Mm -hmm. and still keep the interest but yeah it's it's an interesting dynamic and i i wish that more open mics in smaller scenes which is pretty much everything except for New York, L.A., and Chicago, Mm -hmm. well, Denver. Um,
1: Denver, yeah, Denver is
0: huge. Yeah, um, but in the smaller scenes, if they would make them longer sets, mixed mics, and... Get that crowd in there because a music act, somebody that comes in and plays a couple songs, is probably going to bring more friends than a comedy act because you've already asked mm-hmm. your friends to come to your comedy show 150 times, and it's just going to be the 151st no that, that you get. Or yeah, we'll try and never show up. And
1: I, yeah, and I get it. Like the people who put together these mics, you know, people have their their different reasonings for okay, I'll do this for you because I want you to uh, book me on this and that. You know, the pol- I mean, the politics of anything always get in the way yeah. of, of of creativity, unfortunately, and business in the same way. And especially a lot of young comedians, they're, you're, you're so focused on working on your art that you don't have time or the acumen for the business angle of it. That's a whole nother level. But... I, yeah, I just wish, even if someone's comedy, like, I don't know that I would be a fan of me because Mm -hmm. I'm not the kind of comedian that I like, that I watch. Uh Not saying I dislike what I do. Right. But like, if someone, like, if you were to say, Ricky, you remind me of like, I'm not looking for adulation, but like, if you likened me to another comedian, like, oh, Ricky Glore is like, and then you name someone that people have heard of mm-hmm. there's a good chance that that wouldn't be that person wouldn't be in my top three favorite comedian. Yeah. Yeah. But so like open micers and people who run these rooms and these smaller independent rooms, you have, you can sit and watch a clip or these festivals and just have a good enough ear that even if it isn't your cup of tea that you go, Ooh, I, this person, they've got something and they, and it's not even like affirmative action where they're like, they're filling a void of like, well, we got to have X amount of blah blah. There's a little bit of that that should exist. So you're not having the same 22 year old white college kid talking about masturbating and blah, 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 and living your parents' basement. But like recognizing that even if it's something that you don't love, you should have that be part of the night because it will be different and it will be interesting. Yeah. And it is just as valid.
0: Yeah. And and a lot of bookers get tunnel vision in that sense where they only want alt comics or they only they, they only they only want this cross section of comedy and that limits their audience because some people don't, don't want to hear the alt comic. They, they, they want, they want to see somebody like you that talks about real life and, and, um,
1: has, and I get it. Like, I didn't talk about real life until I got married and moved back to Kentucky. Uh I used to do one liners and like, I was a college kid and I didn't a lot of my stuff that I talk about, like being from Kentucky and stuff, I obviously experienced it. I didn't have the foresight and the, the removal of time from it the distance to recognize the humor in it. Uh I knew it was like, I thought it was funny, but I never, for some reason, I never thought anyone else would think it was funny on stage. Right. That wasn't from where I grew up.
0: Yeah. 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 It's, it's a maturity that has to come. I, I think it just has to come to you almost with, almost with age before you can actually look back at yourself and, use that critical eye to figure out, you know, is this, is this really who I am or is this, is this really what's and working and
1: the maturity of, yeah. I and mean, that's discovering your voice and like the maturity of communicating. So like there's stuff on this album about my mother-in-law that when I put it together, I went to her and I was like, would you be okay that I talk about this? She's like, Oh my God, I'd be honored. Yeah. So called Brenda <laughs> on the album. And so like there is, there's some things that like will happen in my personal life that I haven't talked about on stage yet. Cause I haven't figured out the, the therapeutic humoristic way of presenting it. Or there's a couple of things where I've said to my wife, like, just so you know, um, I'm probably not going to talk about this because it's maybe too personal. And she's like, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh-huh. But then there's other things where I'll talk about my wife and I'm like, are you okay with me talking about you having a C-section? Mm-hmm. on stage and blah blah blah. And she's like, yeah. And it's just communicating and being honest. And through that, like I'm not, I, I try not to be that annoying comedian of examining it everything and being like, is that a bit? Is that a bit? Can that be a mm-hmm. bit? Can that be a bit? It's more like it happens a couple days later. Like, um, this is a perfect example. This past weekend, um, I improvised this bit that my wife and I had joked about for years what Uh women think versus what men think. When a woman asks a man, what are you thinking? And he says nothing. And the woman's like, really? And they don't trust you. And like for men, it's like, no, we are sitting there slack jawed, (laughs) narrow thought in our heads. We're running the theme to Bonanza. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's, and then you'll add lyrics to it: "Gonna eat, gonna sleep, gonna shit, gonna shave, gonna do yeah. it. Gonna eat, gonna sleep, gonna shit, gonna shave, gonna do it all again. Yeah. Eat and sleep, shit and shave." Da, 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 da. It's like then you ask a woman, and women have more things they have to think of. Societally, we've made women make lists, yeah, um, and be the caretakers of things. And so you ask your wife, like, well, what are you thinking about? And they'd be like, ah, oh, nothing. But inside their heads, they're yeah. going, okay, I got to wake up tomorrow at 6 a.m., got to get the kids up, got to get them dressed, got to get their lunches together, got to get them to school. And once I get to work, I'm going to go up to Kathy, and I'm going to tell her I'm sorry because I told her yesterday that I didn't think her scarf was good and blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> and so I improvised that on in the first – I did three shows in a row on Saturday in Jacksonville, Florida. And in the first show – I improvised that. And the, the booker came up to me afterwards and he's like, Oh my God. He's like that bit with the bonanza theme was hilarious. I was like, I improvised it. I was like, that's something I'd said to my wife before, but I've never done it on stage. He's like, that seemed like a fully form written out bit. Wow. That's and great. so I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to work on it for the second show. And so I fine tuned it second show. And by the third show I had it almost pitch perfect uh-huh. to the point that the women in the audience I had to wait for an applause break during the the rant of what a woman's thinking uh-huh. and so that was one of those of like it's something my wife and I had done jokingly yeah my wife had thought it was funny but I I probably did that for the first time five years ago and had never thought about incorporating it. Incorporating it into stand up.
0: Uh huh. That's great, and that's great when it like hits so early when you yeah. when you know when you know it's good right out of the gate. That's that's a fantastic feeling, and it doesn't happen all that often. Yeah, it takes
1: yeah, a lot right. of work. That's the comedian's dream. That's yeah. the lottery. Is yeah. you're like okay in the middle of my set, maybe I'll do crowd work, and you know what that's gonna do? That's gonna open up a door to a new hour set or yeah. some ideas. It, it, yeah, <laughs> rarely does that. And I've tried that. Like, on the album, I have a, a QA and a portion mm-hmm. that I've started doing because that that is the closest to, like, improv. Good improvisers have done it so many times that they'll make you think you're seeing something spontaneous, mm-hmm. but it's ideas and stuff they've worked with before, so they got a good idea. That's a little bit of the magic act, or like, um, uh, if you've ever have seen... Um, Oh my gosh! Why am I blanking on his name? Canadian comedian. Um, oh, oh, there's, um, and also mm. I'm I'm blanking. Um, Harlan Williams also, uh, yeah, he's not the comedian I was thinking of. Harlan Williams does crowd work, and he makes everyone think that the the shows are brand new every time. Yeah, he's done it so many times. Yeah, he's able to weave in the yeah. pre conceived are you talking bits. about uh Ian Bag Ian Bag yeah yes. yeah yeah my wife saw Ian when I was opening for him years ago in Florida and she's like oh my gosh every show is different and it was on a Thursday and I was like are you coming back Sunday and she's like yeah I was like you'll see how the sausage is made yeah but it's brilliant <laughs> yeah it's oh it great. is yeah but it's yeah it's so the QA is the closest to improv because people ask questions a lot of the same questions mm-hmm. but it's a way that they think you're talking about it for the first time so they're less judgy uh-huh. and more accepting and willing to laugh um at even just of a smidge of an idea yeah that may be just what you need to give it the confidence and and to build on it so on the album um a bit that came up and i haven't even written this down or worked it in is flying there the tsa agent patted me down and said that on the, 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 the x-ray screen, it looked they had to check under my flap, oh. my, flap my skin flap, <laughs> yeah. to make sure I wasn't hiding something. <laughs> and so this woman asked a question, like, do you have any more stories about losing weight? And I just told, not even in a joke's way, hadn't thought of jokes, I just verbatim told the experience I just had from flying from Cincinnati, from uh-huh. CVG mm-hmm. to Salt Lake City. And it got a great response. That I actually now have to go back and listen to the album and write it down and be like, okay, that I naturalistically presented it this way, yeah. can I replicate it that way, and will it still work?
0: Right, right. That's that's great, and and that's a perfect transition into the newer thing I have going. Is this anything? And uh, so basically, uh, we both bring a joke or a promise to the, uh, table and we decide if, um, it it's good, if it can go forward and, um, uh, give or each other, up with its head. G- g- give each other tags. If, um, or, or bring the ball in, just bring <laughs> the ball is back
1: Reel it back <laughs> in no more caveman, serial killer, but yeah,
0: but yeah, see if, uh, see if we got something. And since you are the guest, you get to choose if, uh, you go first or if I go first.
1: Uh, I want you to go first because I know the two things I'm going to present are part of uh, a, a chunk of a bit that's on the album that I'm looking to expand on. Okay. Um, that they're, they're under the same chunk. Um, I just want to see if there's more to them okay. and actually maybe three jokes. Um, so yeah, you go first. Okay. And I'm I'll, excited. To, I'm excited to hear yours and like, comedians will then be like, maybe you could say it like this. And it's like, you would say it like that, but that ain't my voice. That's
0: actually one of the cool things that's come from this is I get more feedback than I've been doing this for three years now. And I get more feedback from this than I've gotten from anything and I, I get people, saying, okay, that was good. Here's tags. And I don't even know them. And it's real. it's really cool when that comes through. And then sometimes my guest gets tags and I send them over to you.
1: So it's, well, uh, that's, and that's what I love about talking with other comedians. They, you mean, you, you know, when you sometimes have those comedians that are just like, well, I'm not giving him anything and blah, blah, blah. But like, I love, cause I, I'm, I'm a writer. I love thinking in that Comedian's voice of being like, oh, "I could never say this on stage because this doesn't fit my vibe yeah. or what I do." And I was like, "But I want to write. I want to give this to you Yeah. because I would love to see it have a life, than rather live in a box that yeah. will never." Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and the, it's it's kind of like a little writer's workshop, and it mm-hmm. it, 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 it it it's uh, it's been working pretty well. So I'm going to preface this one by saying I need a new opener. And the reason why is because I had the most solid opener that I could ever have and my appearance changed. So I couldn't do it anymore. So Mm -hmm. I used to have hair and I wore contacts and I had a, um, I went into a gas station uh, to buy a soda and the cashier said, Hey, you look like an older Harrison Ford. And so the joke went from there and basically what, what's the last Harrison Ford movie you've seen because he's 21 years older than I am. And, and, and it, it really went well, but I don't look like that anymore. So the joke doesn't work. And Bruce Willis. Yeah. Yeah. I could, yeah, that, that might work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying, I'm trying something because I look even scarier now to people than I did then because I'm bald and I got the permanent scowl and stuff. So this is something I've put down that may be an opener. I don't know. Um, Here we go. So uh, I've been told by no less than 30 people over the years that they know somebody who looks exactly like me. My doppelganger is in cities I've never been. I n- really need to meet them, though, because if they actually look like me with the height, the head, the perpetual scowl, I want to know how they're coping because I startle people on the regular. Every time I'm besi- behind someone in a bar and they turn around and see me, it's this. I can <laughs> see the fear of death in their eyes, and I need to know if my doppelgangers have developed a workaround for that. And that's all I got.
1: I think the, I would Seinfeld it. Um, so for the first, I would do the word economy, uh, uh, of get out as, write it down and take a red pen and take out as many words that you can Mm -hmm. while it still holds it. Um, and I think you have a couple, uh, opportunities for left turns and Mr. X. Mm -hmm. So, I would go, and again, I will preface this because I don't want to ever come off egotistical of like, this is what you should do. Yeah. This is this is what I hear to my ears is I would be like, um, you have no idea how many times I hear, I know someone that looks exactly like you. And so almost cut out like the, the specificity of the 30s of times uh-huh. and people all over and be like, what you said about you being scary and off-putting that almost to me is if there's so many people that are, are, are bald like me, um, why are we like basically a culture that's scary? Ugh. I have two, I have two ideas in my head that I'm trying to work through. So many people look like you. So why is it scary? Ah, ah, like yeah. if so many people look like you, why is it scary when I'm in the majority? Yeah. And then it's like, so it must be something that I'm personally doing that my uh, doppelgangers. So turn it where it's not what are they doing that uh, are comforting others? What are you doing that to make people uncomfortable?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
1: Not figuring out what makes what are they doing that makes people comfortable with having this Mr. Clean demeanor
2: uh-huh.
1: like mr clean's a welcoming guy yeah. and he's even a little risque he's got a earring so yeah. like, <laughs> um, but like so like small little things like that being like so if there's so many people that look like me but people are so threatened by me what is it that i'm doing i mean maybe i should stop approaching people with a butcher knife held above my head like i, <laughs> I don't know something like that or like i guess i should stop approaching people by saying give me all your money yeah or,
0: yeah, something. Yeah, something a like, little bit ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, I like
1: yeah, that. Yeah, that's yeah. Do that left turn misdirect. Yeah. Of like, I got to really figure out what I'm doing. That if so many people look like me, um, you know, I can never say I'm a one in a million guy. Uh-huh. Because there's blah. I mean, there's an old A. Whitney Brown joke, um, that the population of China is blah, blah, blah. So if you're, you can look it up on Google. Uh-huh. It's a good one in a million thing. Um, yeah, that's the angle I would go with is more self-deprecating, less, um, yeah, you looking so similar to so many people. It's almost as if you are wearing a bald man's costume.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Did that help? Is there? Yeah. Anything? Yeah. Yeah. And
0: I've really been struggling with it because it's, I know when, I know what the feeling is, is when I walk on stage, it's just like, mm-hmm. this guy does not look like a comedian. He looks, you know, he looks like a bouncer and, and
1: well, and if you're going to go the angle of the, I know what you're all thinking, this guy looks blah, 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 which mm-hmm. is, And I'm going to say hacky, not in the derogatory hacky. Right, yeah. That is is an easy starter. That is the, hey, everyone, like, I'm relating to you because I know what you're thinking. This guy is um, Jeff Bezos, Lex Luthor, blah, Uh, blah, blah, you know, doing all those things, Mr. Clean. But maybe then the bit is you naming so many people, like the three I just named lex luther and jeff bezos could be considered villains yeah uh, mr clean could be considered villainous because of the earring he's a little yeah dangerous uh, maybe everyone that you say that you could look like is threatening like is yeah. is villainous um it tech person or i don't know like yeah. I'm not up here to do comedy. I'm actually here to give you all a PowerPoint presentation on financial, blah, blah, like. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and I I tried one that said, you know, everybody thinks I either look like a a cop, a pharmacist, or a serial killer, and I don't know, I don't know. I don't know how I could be all three of those things. And, and
1: that I, I never really got to take that anywhere either. It just, I mean, that's funny that it's almost like, it's almost like a bullet point of this all being one thing that you just bounce around from that. You really don't spend a lot of time. It's almost like you rapid fire hit all these ideas. If you could figure out a a smooth way to do it, uh but if you did it quick, because that, I think that's hilarious. I look like a cop, pharmacist, or serial killer. Just the breakdown of that. Uh-huh. A cop, trust, I mean, mostly trusted. Uh-huh. I mean, there's you know, some areas like, no thanks. <laughs> um, pharmacist, like, yeah, pharmacist is non threatening. I trust them or serial killer yeah yeah like but you trust serial killers right that's why serial killers are so good at what they do yeah is they get trusted yeah um well and i could
0: also take it i i could also take it uh in a direction where i'm like yeah the i that's just preposterous i'm i'm not smart enough to be a pharmacist and then just let them (laughs) look And and I'm not lawful enough to be a cop. And then just leave serial killer out and let them fill in the blank.
1: Yes, that is, I like that. I think I would, I think that is how I would go first. And then if you did the, because you have no idea how many times people come up to me and say, you, you look exactly like this person I yeah. know. So th- I think that is your then second. Yeah. Your opening hit is, um, I know what you're thinking. I look like I'm either a cop that pulled you over for a speeding ticket, uh, your pharmacist, or a serial killer. Uh-huh. But I have to be honest, like I'm not smart enough to be a pharmacist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I'm not that- athletic enough to be a cop.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's a much quicker, it's, it's a much quicker laugh that way.
1: Yes. you're yeah. getting meat and potatoes yeah. and then you, then you let it hang for a little bit, but not like a, eh? so it's serial killer, right? Yeah. Um, but then you go into the first thing people always want to tell me is how much they think I look like someone else. Like, I think there's jokes in there about individualism. Mm hmm. Of, of just like that you're not special. um, and then maybe there's a callback to serial killer.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: and like, and you're like, and that's why I have to let everybody know like I don't know, not, this this isn't the joke, but maybe something that's like on par like John Wayne Gacy dressing up as a clown and going to kid's birthday party. Like, and that's why I got to let him know uh, the blah, blah, blah killer always leaves because <laughs> I am, I am important and special. Yeah. And unique. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, the, it's and, dark that's... and it's weird. And maybe that won't fit like with the rest of what you have going on. Uh-huh. But I don't know. Maybe if you got them at the top with something like that, then the, you're open for maybe other weirder I don't
0: know yeah and I I'm a little bit more on the weird side and and a little bit more angry and stuff like that anyway so that yeah I I can see that working this is this is great because I've got something that I can do my first two jokes with now and Mm -hmm. and they'll and they'll both be done in less than two minutes and then I can then I've got them going, and I can get into the rest of my stuff. And
1: yeah, and that's it. It feels like you have um, possibilities for good laughter in that in that first bit of cop, pharmacist, serial killer. That you hit a lot of, you get self deprecating, you get re- relatability, you get um, cop and Serial Killer, which are two semi-hot-button topics right now. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it just seems like, yeah, you have a lot of opportunities to really rope them in right off the bat, and then them for for the audience to get a good sense of what your tone is going to be for the rest of the show. Uh-huh. I mean, it's almost yeah. like that's your first joke as a cliff notes of what you're going to get, a summarization for the rest of your set, yeah. whatever it's 10 minutes or whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that, that, that was a good one. And I'm glad I talked about some of the other things I've tried because I, I think I can make them work together now. And, uh, that this whole opening thing has been bugging me for over a year now. Cause I, I, I just haven't, I, I haven't been able to find that one that does as well as the old Harrison Ford one.
1: Yeah. And I've, I mean, I used to do some dad jokes and some real um, silly, quick non sequiturs Mm -hmm. just to loosen up the audience. And that's how I opened my drive. I'm not sure which edit of the dry bar you watched. That's my only complaint about dry bar is the one that's up and in full on YouTube doesn't open with the opening of the show.
0: Yeah, I did the YouTube one, so I didn't see that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so the opening of the show that's part of the real special. If you like watch it on drybar.com, their app, or you rent it through comedy dynamics, it opens with, um, a couple quick dumb dad jokes Uh of just like by a round of applause, how many people have clapped their hands before.
0: Yeah. And I've, I, I saw that clip, um, on, you did it on something else. Yeah. And I thought that was really, I thought that was really funny and it was a great way to start.
1: So just like three of those jokes, and then it's be like, okay, I know those are dad jokes, but it's okay. I just had a, uh, I just had a ba- baby. I'm a new dad. Uh-huh. Blah blah blah. And so that was my opener. But then, for this new album set, I open with the ukulele, which then dovetails into crowd work, which I know can yeah. be problematic to do crowd work off the bat. because then you're open the audience to talk and stuff. Yeah. But with like the tone of me coming out with the ukulele the questions that I'm asking and the way that that goes, I feel usually gives the audience a good sense of like, okay, we know what kind of guy this is. We feel pretty comfortable with his type of humor that he's not judging us. And that at the beginning, when you go into the crowd, they're like, Oh no, this, that's why I didn't want to sit up front. Yeah. And then once that's done, I don't, I don't pick on. it's not even picking on the crowd, but like, yeah, they they get to relax for the rest of the show cuz it's already done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I re- I really like that that part where you said, "Yeah, I really don't have anything prepared." Uh <laughs> and you
1: and you're doing an album. <laughs> well, and that's that was my way of like that magic trick of like so many people think my biggest judgment on myself, whether it be acting or stand-up performing, is I don't feel watching myself that I come off naturalistic. Uh-huh. I always feel like I can see the machinations of performance happening. I uh-huh. always look I'm like, Oh, I'm performing. That's performance. I can yeah. hear it in my voice and blah, blah, blah. Um, so the trick of that, of doing crowd work. And then once I felt like the mind of the crowd work is, is, is welled up is dry. Mm-hmm. I will then try to connect wherever we're at with the pre-written bit and just slide into it yeah and then hopefully i'm on i'm 20 minutes now into the show and they didn't realize the show really the real show started yeah yeah
0: yeah i can i can dig that because i have i have the same observations about myself i still feel like i'm i still feel like i'm following an outline and Mm -hmm. and um and trying to move past that but it takes a lot of practice to do that
1: Yeah, and it's it's hard because I think we are always chasing our voice, and I still don't know what my voice is. I have just become comforted in knowing that the humor I am doing and the things I am doing are the things that I want to do. Right, right. I'm not going like, well, I can't do that, or I'm not going to do that because that isn't what... I can sell better or whatever. I'm like, I like doing what I'm doing. I like doing what I'm talking about mm-hmm. and I'm going to, that doesn't mean I'm going to do it. And if the audience doesn't laugh, like that's first and foremost, like, all right, that thing's got to go because as much as I love doing it, caveman serial killer, like it's yeah. got like, <laughs> it's got to be stuff that I like doing that also entertains. the Right.
0: Audience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a delicate balance. All
1: right. So, so my, what, what, what you best. got for me? <laughs> Okay, this is all in the chunk of and things that have grown that's on the album um, a little bit and then can continue on for new stuff like a new hour. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe it'll probably be in the new hour film special or variation of it is the I Know I'm Getting Older. Um, Three bits are one, I Know I'm Getting Older by the way that I buy groceries Um, I get really excited when I'm buying meat and I find, I see one that's uh, a a steak or ground beef for $8 and 87 cents, but then I see behind it or next to it, one that's $7 and 50 cents. Um, little joke, like doesn't ever get a real big laugh, but like something of like that to me is the lottery. Like that's, the mini win in my day of just like, Oh my God. Oh, this was cheaper. Yeah. (laughs) We did it. Yeah. Save 30 cents. (laughs) But like, those are the little things you, you grow to love when you're of a certain age. Mm -hmm. Um, so that I'm working on, I'll do these first two. Um, I'll mention these first two before doing the third one and see if there's anything more to add to them. The other one is, my friend and I that I graduated school with uh, high school with in 2004, we're at a bar on a Wednesday night and I was looking around and I was like, I said to him, I was like, I think we're the oldest people here. And he looked at me and very nonchalantly said, yeah, I know we're the oldest people here. And the first thing I thought of was like, Oh, he must have like an algorithm or like, there must be something that he knows that I don't some fact for him to so quickly absolutely say that he knows that we're the oldest ones here. Uh-huh. And I was like, how, how do you know we're the oldest ones here? He's like, you know how I know we're the oldest ones here. Cause you just said, I think we're the oldest ones here. <laughs> He's like only people that are old ask that question. Yeah. Yeah. No young person is asking. I wonder for the oldest ones here.
0: Yeah. 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 I, yeah, the only other thing that you could add to that, I think, is whatever music's playing, you absolutely don't know what it is. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think... Is that, an,
1: is that an alarm? Is that a fire alarm? Or is that a hot new track? Yeah. <laughs> Should we be concerned? Yeah. It, it's loud. Yeah. Are they trying to say we need to evacuate?
0: <laughs> you know, I I... I I love jazz, but the beat on this sounds like my rotor's going out or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: When you start liking it to things around your house breaking down and thinking you need to call a professional to fix. Yeah. And that's what you're thinking of and it's music. Uh huh. You know you're old. Oh, I mean yeah. that's a you might be a redneck. You might be old if yeah. <laughs> the music you're hearing sounds like you're heating an AC unit conking out yeah yeah you're and you get upset and sad because you know the money you get back for tax season is just gonna go back into fixing and now that song has ended and yeah you're still thinking about fixing things around your house
0: yeah you know another way you could go with that is you know this sounds exactly like when my hvac went out um and I'm almost positive somebody Hold. was in my house sampling that.
1: <laughs> yes. And is this something from based off of what you just said? The acronyms that you know yeah. are clear giveaways of your age. Yeah. HVAC is an acronym you know when you're over 35. Uh-huh. STD is an acronym you know when you're in your 20s. Uh-huh. I've actually got a bit about acronyms and
0: slang. Um, so, yeah, that, yeah, that, uh, th- that makes sense. uh love clever wordplay
1: as yeah. like a quick little, little joke inside of a bigger joke. Yeah. That's yeah. That, that, what I said earlier about the extra small versus extra large. Right, yeah. Um, and it's hard with those because sometimes you just introduce the idea, and if you don't present it as a joke, people still think it's interesting as long as you're not hoping that there's going to be a laugh there. Yeah, right. But I think – HV H, 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 HVAC versus HPV. Yeah. Is <laughs> I think that could be a good laugh moment. Yeah. Um because you get the people that like relate to it and then you get the people almost like Seinfeld said of don't end a joke on a curse word cuz then it's the curse word getting laugh. Yeah. HPV which sometimes I'm like I don't care if it gets a laugh I'm moving on to the next one and it help me get that Yeah. that beat uh that beat of jokes of that rhythm. Uh If I get a laugh on HVAC and then a laugh on HPV fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for that first part about meat prices, there's another joke and maybe it's part of this. And a friend kind of gave me this joke was, um, I was at the grocery store. I'm so old now that I saw a buy one, get one free and floss. So I bought a lifetime supply of floss. Uh-huh. And I was just like, yeah. So is that the same as the meat thing? It's like No. Yeah, that's an observation, but it's not necessarily like Yeah. You know, something the only
0: thing that I'm thinking about the meat thing is it needs to come back and bite you in the ass. Like there there's a reason why it was 30 cents cheaper. Like it's, it's all, because it's
1: less, it's, There's it's all as much.
0: Yeah, well, well, it's all bone. It's all gristle. Oh, yeah. You know, all that elation has to turn into disappointment and yes. And, and I, then I think it'll really hit, but I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Okay. I got to meet home and my wife said she wanted, she wanted strip steaks, not T bones or something mm-hmm. like that. You know,
1: it. it Something deprecating about you because, like, I used to – I had been saying, like, it's the differences of, you know, your old base so much in your shopping cart. Yeah. Of, like, you know, you'd go there and you just buy for yourself. Mm -hmm. You'd get a 12-pack and you get a bag of chips and a pizza because Uh you're only buying for that night. Right. And when you're older, you're out buying three pounds, six pounds of ground beef and going – oh, man, this one's $8.37. Oh, holy grail, this one's $7.50. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, and so I think maybe there's more to just getting people into the grocery store, like getting them in that headspace Mm. of, like, because people, it's such an arduous thing of grocery shopping, and that if you can find those little delights of like when you're grocery shopping, if there could be a couple more of those, and that could be the under the umbrella of like, yeah, you know, you're old, yeah, because you're finding delights in the grocery store, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. There's, so there- I mean,
1: there's a lot
0: of meat on the bone there. I used to do one uh, about finding a coupon. You know, it, it, it's a great day. I found somebody mm-hmm. left a coupon for um, Annie Perspren and on top of that, it was, I think it was buy one, get one half off. And, um, but the problem is, is I got it, I got it home and it gave me a rash. And, and, you know, I always, Mm I, I always take my good thing that happens and I bookend it with something, something disappointing. Charlie Brown. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's, you got another, well, there's another for the bold thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Of like, not only do I look like Charlie Brown, but the cumulus ca- cloud that's been following me for my whole life. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> um, yes. I like, I mean, I think that's a bit onto itself, the karma or the serendipity of like, for every good thing that happens in your life, it's followed up by a sour. Yeah. Yeah. The sweet ain't is sweet without the bitter. Yeah. Yep. For sure. So the, The third one, this is more of a joke that I've never done on stage because I want to find a cleaner way to tell it. But I'm wondering if the only reason why it's funny is because of the dirty um, is it goes into the I'm getting older. I'm getting older because I'm actually going I've started having to go to funerals of people that I know people unfortunately that have died at the same age and like, and nothing is more awkward and more reflective than going to a funeral of someone your age and realizing that you're wearing the exact same thing as the person in the coffin. Uh-huh. <laughs> How was I supposed to know that he was going to be buried in a, I fuck on the first date t-shirt.
0: <laughs> okay. But- why so it's really good the way it is. Um, I mean, that's a huge misdirect. Um, but I mean, what other t-shirt could you put in that's clean uh, that hits
1: as hard? Yeah, as it's not. That,
0: I, I I can't think of anything that's going to hit that hard. Um, that turn. Yeah. I mean, um, Hannah, Man- Hannah Montana t-shirt.
1: <laughs> yeah. But how how is I supposed to know? That we both be wearing our Dora the Explorer t shirt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Depending, I mean, it's, again, it it's not going to hit as hard as no. Like because one, no one should be wearing a I fuck on the first date. Yeah, t shirt. Right. Yeah, and wearing it or the nerdiness of of the comedy of it all is no one should be wearing that. No one should be buried in it. No one should be wearing it to a funeral.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Dora the Explorer fits there in the same way but different. Yeah. Um, because you're, too, be- you're you're both too old to be wearing them.
1: Yeah, um, and it would probably have to be something that's more prevalent now than even Dora the Explorer like Coco Melon, Baby Shark. Yeah. Or I don't know, but again, yeah, I just I've racked my brain of being like Oh, how did I know that we both were going to be wearing a, I went to blah, blah, blah. And all I got this t-shirt, all I got was this t-shirt blah, uh, or like a, a tourist thing uh-huh. or a big John. Like, even if you say big Johnson, what you're doing is you're just telling a sanitized version. Yeah. I'm trying to find that network television late night yeah. talk show clean version of that joke. Right. Because that goes with my, a bit that has been working that is new ish that is on the album um, is the, I know I'm getting old cause I started saving plastic grocery bags yeah. from the grocery store as trash bags. Uh-huh. And when people are coming over, we're trying to impress, we switch out the Walmart bags with target bags. Yeah. And then if we're really trying to impress someone, we take out the one whole foods bag that we got 10 years ago. <laughs> but, That's so like, a good bit. That, yeah. The, yeah. The funeral thing works in mm-hmm. there. With all that other stuff, but it's not. Yeah, I don't. Is there a clean look? If anybody is listening, yeah. um, or watching this later, or Facebook or whatever, or Twitter, and you have one like, co- like comment, and I would love to find one that is just as ridiculous and hits all the reasons why it's funny.
0: Yeah. 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 That's because I, th- those go together so well, and but that punch I fuck on the first date is just perfect. <laughs> it, it, it's going to, it's going to be hard to find one. I, I'm going to be thinking about it all day now um, because there's got to be something. like a band this t-shirt. Is, this is
1: not my first time bringing it up. Like it's almost like this is a Sudoku or a riddle or a math puzzle yeah. that I've brought up at least on five different road trips with other comedians. Yeah. Where I'll just be like, check this. Can you come like, and it's yeah. not even saying like that is an amazing joke. It's just like the Olympics of can you make, are some jokes unable to be made clean?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you almost you almost want to have, like, five T-shirts in the chamber based on how the audience is reacting to your other jokes.
1: Yeah, and the permutations of the night because then I've had people, so I said you get a lot more work if when people say, can you work clean, and then you find out what their yeah. level of clean that they want is. Uh-huh. I have had the reverse of that where some people don't want to necessarily book me because they think it's going to be quote unquote clean comedy, yeah. which may be less, less than funny comedy. And I assure them, I'm like, I can be dirty. I just don't filter myself, especially in the improvisations yeah. or the crowd work. Um, I'm not going to be like filthy and vile and disgusting, yeah. but like, as I have on this podcast, this this episode has some R moments. Uh-huh. The, I fucking the first day, like, yeah, that would be considered an R that some places be like no efforts, right? Yeah, but like, so I I assure them I'm like, there are shows that I've done where they're just like, oh yeah, we want you to, we want you to be a little dirtier, yeah, and it's like great, yeah, and so if I had that joke in three different variances, yeah. the late the the clean version, the late night clean. And then the R version, which is what it is, that would be a great one to have. Yeah. And it would be interesting to see if you can make it work just as strong in each permutation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The same, the same response on all Hello Kitty Um. (laughs) t-shirt.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the A, like, yeah, yeah. Hello Kitty. Something that is um, a, a close to 40 year old man should not be wearing this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's funny. Yeah. Figuring out something that is, that is that, what is current that is associated. Oh, well maybe it's, what are those half shirts? Crop tops. Yeah. Crop tops. But how did I know we both were going to be wearing crop tops? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I don't think it hits as is as well, but
0: Yeah. I might try that. You try you could try that. You know, yeah. you, you you could have a throwaway line at the end of that and say, and our blazers match too.
1: <laughs> yeah. How so we you're, know worrying, you're wearing you're wearing the T
0: shirt, you're wearing a crop top with a blazer. That's and it funny. makes it That's even more ridiculous. ridiculous.
1: Yeah. How did I know we'd both be wearing crop tops? <laughs> and that pinstripe blazer from men's warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. I, I like that I yeah. like the the little hat on a hat. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, J- like, d- look, they d- didn't bar- look. They weren't completely ridiculous and buried him in just a crop top. Yeah, they put a blazer. on Yeah, him.
0: yeah, they dressed it, it is up. A his little
1: favorite bit. crop top. <laughs> yeah.
0: Have you ever worked with Jeff Bodart?
1: No, but I am familiar with Jeff Bodar. I have definitely he, seen his poster and
0: Yeah, he and is the king around. of those throwaway lines that almost overshadow the punch. And it's it's kind of like when Gaffigan goes into his voice uh, but yeah. but he does it it's just a throw it's just a throwaway line at the end of end of a joke and it it seems like it's totally off the cuff but sometimes it actually overshadows the punch a little bit and so I mean, that la- yeah that laugh that he started just rolls for longer and longer because of that and uh, he's got an album on spotify you sh- you should listen to that to understand those throwaway lines because he is the master of it
1: yeah I, I i will and that is different comedians who i've witnessed who who can do that who, like you said, just keep the the rhythm and the laughter roller coaster still rolling, and then they've moved on to their next thing, and the laugh hasn't stopped. Yeah, like the wave is still going in yeah. some way. that's it's masterful.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's great at that. Um, so, where can uh, folks find you on the social medias, website, and all that kind of stuff? I'm
1: everywhere. You <laughs> want to Google my name? Um, you can find me, which is such a weird thing to say. Like before online and social media, if you went up to a stranger and was like, Hey, follow me. Yeah. (laughs) Not only follow me like what I'm doing. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's so weird. And that is the hardest part about this business of like self-representation and branding and marketing, blah, 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 like all that. But like Instagram at, at Glore Ricky, you'll hear all about upcoming film projects, shows where I'm going. Um, dot It hasn't been updated, but it should get you to all of the social medias of like TikTok, Twitter. I use Twitter primarily as a writing tool uh-huh. for Word Economy. Yeah, um, that's what I felt it's best for. And then Facebook dot uh, com slash comedy. I mean, it's kind of just all the same stuff shared on all the same yeah. platforms. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there's no uniqueness yeah really to any of it but um yeah be on the lookout for all your friends are dead coming out um what we're going to be doing with some more movies if you want to search my name on itunes for um or spotify for uh the two albums that are out dad bod special it's out the special recording in april which my guess will come out probably in the fall or summer mm. um, i'm not sure what that's going to be titled yet um but check all that stuff out, and if you want to hear me talk about more nerdy horror movie things, when I was doing promotion for All Your Friends Are Dead, you can iTunes, search me, or Spotify, and you'll see all the guest appearances that I did yeah. on horror podcasts, where one, one show's called Top Five, where he let me pick the subject, and it was Top Five Masks in a horror movie. Okay. And we immediately got rid of Michael Myers, Leatherface, Ghostface and jason because we were like those of course clearly they're mount rushmore
2: uh-huh.
1: let's talk about other ones that people may not be as familiar with uh-huh. so i think we each did five and then like a couple honorable mentions which is a great way to like you were saying about introducing phantasm or hammer movies yeah great way to introduce people to some horror movies that they might not be familiar with right
0: yeah yeah i'm gonna check those out being being the horror geek that i am so yeah that. Definitely the five, five top masks. That, that, that was a, that was one of my favorite
1: ones because it was specific. Another one is um, that it, I'm getting ready to record another episode for them is, um, oh, I don't want to miss say it. Say like, I'm going to be like, yeah, they're really good, and I like them, and I can't remember their name. They are tip, they're Terrified and Tipsy Podcast. Oh, okay. So G-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E, Terrified and Tipsy Podcast. Uh-huh. They do watch-alongs. So they did a watch along to um, a short horror movie I made called Racist, R-A-C-Y-S-T. Okay. And it was like a David Cronenberg body horror, oh. um, <laughs> horror short film I made. They did a watch along to that. And I love their response that when I was promoting All Your Friends Are Dead, I came on for a full episode and we just nerded out about horror. And it's these two women that are hilarious uh-huh. and- just have just a, a different outlook on horror and they watch everything. That's but cool. But they are like stereotypical, like Midwestern kind of mom vibes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so like their <laughs> approach and their comments on it are really funny.
0: Yeah, that's great. I'll check that one out too. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. This is one of my favorite uh, writing exercises because I've got hey. s- I've got some meat to take away to my next open mic.
1: If you ever want to do a condensed version of just like a an offshoot episode that is just like the writers room or whatever that's uh, just that uh-huh. I'd be more than happy to come on and I bet you other comedians would I mean just hearing again your approach to the different things Yeah. Um yeah, I think it's such a valuable tool. Yeah. Because sometimes in your community comedians can get a little stingy and are just like, well, I'm not going to give you gold. Right. Yeah. (laughs) What are you going to do? You're going to put that in the bank and collect some interest on it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's, it's very true. And I, I I always come out of these with, with more ideas even beyond what I've talked about. And, and Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's gold right there because sometimes it's hard to, think of those premises and uh no. it's, it's yeah, good to stuff be in the
1: right to be in the right headspace
0: yeah all right well thanks so much for being on the show and uh everybody check out rickyglore.com and also that movie i can't wait till the till the movie comes out all your friends are dead
1: thank you so much thank you for having me yeah let me